If you've been following the news, you know that a delegation arrived in Washington last week from China. Their purpose was to negotiate a trade deal between these two countries which have long been in dispute. It didn't go well. Washington says China is treating the U.S. unfairly and fought back with tariffs on $200 billion in exports with the promise of more to come. And despite these punishing tariffs on nearly half of their exports to the U.S., Beijing has been reluctant to roll back any subsidies or to make any effort to stop cyber theft. The delegation left with no deal in hand. As the saying goes, there's nothing new under the sun, and the text that Ingrid just so beautifully read drops a smack dab into high-stakes trade war. The Israelites have settled in the hill country, and the Canaanites have taken the plains, which means that they control the main commercial route from Egypt to Mesopotamia as well as the fortress guarding the entrance to this trade route, infamous, infamously named Megiddo. You might recognize that name as the scene of many decisive battles, and according to religious imagination, the scene of the final battle, Armageddon. It was highly strategic real estate. Whoever controlled the trade route controlled the economy. So long as the Canaanites were in control of this commercial lifeline, they could throttle Israel's economic life. It's in this throttle that we meet Deborah. She lived around 1100 BC and was the judge for the 12 tribes of Israel which meant that she was the highest ruler in the land. She's the only woman we know who held that title. She's also referred to as a prophetess, one who brought the word, the vision, to the Lord. And oddly, instead of sitting on a throne, we are told she sat under a palm tree. I can't explain that. Chagall depicts this image on the front page of your bulletin so well. As the judge, it was her job to settle disputes and to speak on behalf of the nation. It was also her responsibility to muster up an army and to lead Israel into war when necessary. In this passage we just heard, Deborah has decided that Israel has had enough. It's been treated unfairly for too long. It was time to act. And so she calls Barak to her palm tree and announces the plan. Now we don't know anything about Barak, but we do know that Israel had no standing army so we can assume his day job was not a military commander. Deborah delivers a prophecy to Barak saying that God had commanded him 
to lead an attack against the formidable forces of Canaan. Then Barak makes a fascinating move with this prophetess and judge. He says, I'll go, but not without you. Deborah counters this move with saying, okay, I'll go, but that means you won't get the credit for this victory, but a woman will. Now, if you read further into chapter 4, you will see the truth of her statement. Another woman, not Deborah, enters the story and strikes the final blow to bring Israel to victory. A deal was struck between Deborah and Barak, and they went into battle. As they approached the Canaanites' 900 chariots and legions of professional soldiers with their 10,000 ragtag, untrained soldiers, miraculously thunderstorms swelled the bank of the rivers, the battle was fought, trapping the chariots, in, the Canaanite chariots in clay, and as Deborah prophesied, the battle was won, the Canaanites were defeated, and there was peace in the land for 40 years. <clears throat> now, not only is this a fascinating story about a battle and a female leader, but there is a nuanced yet remarkable adjustment on how God speaks to people. You see, prophecy, the delivered word of the Lord, was considered to be the exotic possession of just a few people. It was their job. God talked to prophets, and the prophets delivered that word to the people. But in that moment between Deborah and Barak, the discernment of God's plan, the next steps for God's people became a process a conversation between two people who were willing to hear God's spirit and to listen. In this story, Deborah delivers a vision of how to move forward in the future, and Barak counters that understanding with his understanding of what God is asking them to do. Together, they determine where God is leading them. Last week, Mark began, we began a month of visioning at Mayflower, and Mark asked us how we might best discern where God is leading us. He introduced the topic with the definition of vision he'd received at a seminar in Ann Arbor. As Ari, Ari Weinzweig, CEO of Zingerman, said, a vision is a picture of success at a particular time. It's an actual destination, a description of what success looks like for your organization. Now, over the past 14 years, we have asked this question, and we have been in the process of discerning where is God leading us? 
We've built three Habitat homes. We've increased our funding for youth ministry. We've grown outreach from zero to 15% of our budget. We've increased our endowment from 650000 to $2.5 million. But that is in the past. And so this month, we are turning our gaze to the future. Mark challenged us to think about vision with the often quoted phrase from Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he explained that this well-known translation, which comes from the King James, is based on an inaccurate translation. It really means where the people see, where the people receive a revelation. In other words, vision is about divine revelation, what people receive and what people see, meaning that what we do next as a congregation will be revealed to all of us. It will be seen by us. Of course, we could just ask Mark to do all that work, to tell us where he sees our church going. We could ask him to create a vision for us to paint our next chapter. But that wouldn't be the congregational way, nor is it the biblical way. In his commentary on the book of Acts, William Barclay says that the New Testament lesson we heard this morning brings us face-to-face with one of the most basic concepts of the Old and the New Testament. He even goes so far to say that you cannot understand the Bible without understanding the day of the Lord. From the biblical perspective, history has been divided into stages. There was a time when everything was confused and hopeless and heading towards destruction. And there will be an age to come, a day when peace and justice will reign, that day we pray for when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that in between time will be announced by the day of the Lord. And that day will be an era, a period, we don't know how long it will be, but it is that in-between time when God breaks into history, when God intervenes to usher in a new reality. The prophet Joel told us what to look for when he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young and your old will see visions, they will dream dreams. Peter repeats those clues as he reminds his New Testament audience that once again, God was breaking into history, bringing in a new reality. It's happening. It's being fulfilled all around us. That process, that conversation that began under that palm tree between Deborah and Barak continues. We need each other to discern God's plan. 
This past week, the world lost two lives who showed us how much we need each other to see what God's doing in the world. Jean Vanier died Tuesday morning at the age of 90. He came from a privileged background. Some say they were the Kennedys of Canada. Though he served in the Canadian and British navies and earned a PhD in philosophy, he is most known for founding L'Arche. L'Arche is a community, 154 communities of 10,000 residents in 38 countries. In these communities, physically and mentally abled and disabled people live and work alongside of each other. Vanier was so clearly able to see the Spirit of God at work in the relationships in these communities. Those that were abled needed those who were disabled, he said, because they give us a gift we do not have. It was in those relationships, he said, where we welcome each other that we are most able to see the source of life and truth. In 2015, he was awarded the prestigious Templeton Prize, valued at $1.7 million, for his exceptional contribution to affirming life's spiritual dimension. In his acceptance speech, he said, when those ingrained in a culture of winning and of individual success enter into friendships with those who are differently able, something wonderful and amazing happens. They too are open to love, even to God. They are changed at a deep level. They are transformed and become more fundamentally human. The second voice we lost this week was that of Rachel Held Evans. At 37, she died of complications of influenza. She left behind two small children, a husband, four books, and a very popular blog. Like Vanier, she challenged the church to see God at work in the shared visions, the shared voices of others. As one tribute said, Rachel was for an all-embracing vision of Christ's church and the relentless inclusion of refugees, those suffering poverty, of LGBTQ people, of women, especially women of color, and of the unseen, unheard, and swept aside, she recognized the real geometry of God. Instead of drawing lines to exclude she drew circles to ensure that all voices could be heard. As part of Mayflower's Vision 2022 process, we will be handing out booklets on Sunday morning at upgroups, at Bible studies, at committee meetings. 
And we are inviting everyone, everyone, to take 10 minutes to write down what you see, what you discern God is asking us next. Joel told us what to look for. We heard it happen between Deborah and Barak under that palm tree. We were reminded of the words in Peter. We saw it in the relationships of Jean Vanier and in the geometry of Rachel Held Evans. And today, we are invited once again to participate in the Day of the Lord, to be a part of God breaking into history, intervening to bring peace and justice, and paving the way for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, sons and daughters, young and old, let us open our eyes to see where God is taking us. Let us open our ears to hear each other. And let us open our hearts to discern together the future God has in mind for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,